Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Over the past six weeks or so, Pastor Donald has been preaching from the book of Nehemiah. Um, We've entitled the series, Nehemiah, Rebuilding Broken Dreams. And um, Pastor Donald's shown us in various ways how God is a God who enters into our mess and into the disorder of our lives and somehow enables us um, to find order in the midst of that chaos and, and hope sometimes in the midst of despair. This morning I'm going to finish that series up and uh, I wanted to start with a brief story. Um, I heard the story once from one of my profs um, back at uh, seminary. Um, he was a professor in the, um, or sorry, he was a pastor in the Maryland area. And um, there's a story once about um, a, a, a village in Appalachia. And for, for those of you that may not be familiar, Appalachia is part of that, um, the Appalachian Mountain Ridge, which kind of runs right along the east coast of the U.S. and then up into Nova Scotia and even makes it as far as Newfoundland. And there was a story about this Appalachian village where suddenly, uh, and people don't know how it, it got there, but suddenly a barrel, like a 45-gallon drum, showed up nearby this Appalachian village. And what was interesting is, um, even though people didn't know how it got there, like whether it was left there maybe by uh, people who um, might have been camping, or whether it was put there by hunters who used it to warm up while they were on a hunting trip, or whether it fell from the sky out of a, a plane that went by. People didn't know how it got there, but one of the things that, that they did notice over time was that barrel became a really significant reference point for the people of that small village. So eventually, for example, people would begin to describe directions in terms of this barrel. They'd say, you know, I, I, I was rabbit snaring up behind the barrel, you know, a, a couple uh, kilometers in the woods behind the barrel. Or, or they'd use it for direction. They'd say, if you want to go see um, John Smith, then take the road that goes by the barrel, go through that intersection, and it's the first house on the left. There's a mailbox, a red mailbox there. Or they, they might say, um, you know, I was over by the barrel the other day and I saw a, a, a big buck deer or something jump across the road. But the interesting thing is that you had this barrel, which until, you know, that time hadn't been a part of village life. And suddenly the appearance of this barrel was um, something that gave the whole town an orientation, a way of seeing the world. It gave them direction. The interesting thing for us in in the book of um, Nehemiah is that we begin with the knowledge, the understanding, that in Israel, uh, before the city of Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians, and before the city walls were destroyed, and before the temple was ravaged and all of its um, beautiful artifacts were carted out, the temple in Jerusalem was very much an organizing, say, feature of Israelite life. The temple gave them a sense of direction. It was a place people migrated or, 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 um, or came to um, uh, by even pilgrimage. They'd come and visit the temple in Jerusalem. And the temple um, was unique, probably 
I can think of a couple of reasons why it was unique among all the other places in um, Israel. Uh, it was unique because it was the place where God somehow was specially present here on earth. I mean, the, the Israelites knew God was present everywhere, but God was somehow uniquely present in the temple. The second reason why the temple might uh, have been important uh, or was important, I think, to, to the people of Israel is the temple was the place where the nation of Israel and Israel's king um, worshipped. It was the place where they gathered together to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. So this was a significant place. It was like a major orienting part of their culture. Now as we break into the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is no longer in Jerusalem. He's part of a group of people that are looking uh, across uh, the corridors of time. They're looking over the geography uh, um, from a different land, a distant land, where they've been taken captive. And what they're understanding is that the temple and everything about it had been decimated by the Babylonians. Inside, Nehemiah and others long for a day when they can return to their homeland, where the temple can be rebuilt, where the walls can be built again too for the def to defend the city of Jerusalem, and where once again the book of the law can be read uh, to the people of Israel. So Nehemiah, as we enter the book, is in that state. He's in a different land, a distant land, and he's been, uh, I guess, transplanted from the place that he loved and the place he wants to return to. But he's serving as a cupbearer now to the king. I wanted to just um, back up a little bit and, and explain um, how this whole uh, experience would have been so disorienting. Um, to, his, to Nehemiah and to the Israelites. So, uh, the Israelites, uh, you could say during the time of the temple, when God was at work, when the presence of God was uh, sensed and seen, when they were in the courts uh, praising God, that was a time of when the Israelites felt grounded, they felt um, profoundly ordered, uh, even if they were surrounded at times by enemies. I'll read you a little bit just from a psalm, Psalm 84, that gives you the sense uh, of um, how the Israelites felt during this first phase, what I'll just call phase one, which um, we'll label orientation. They were oriented, the temple was their point of orientation. Here's a, a Psalm 84, verses 1 to 4. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the, and the swallow builds her nest and raises her young at a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can come and live in your house and always sing your praises. That first four verse, those first four verses from Psalm 84 describe, um, and there are many verses throughout the Old Testament, but those describe this profound sense of uh, order that the Israelites had, that they were in communication with their God, they were connected with their God, that God was their protector and their defender, their steadfast and faithful lover. Now, over time, one of the things that develops in Israel 
is that the Israelites become less and less faithful to God. They turn to other gods. They worship other gods in other places. They are uh, broken up as a nation into uh, a northern and a southern nation. Um, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And it, it, it's well documented if, if you look through the prophets and, and various places, uh, even the historical books, that this was a period of time uh, where Israel was in decline. It is around the time of the exile that Israel goes from this point of, of decline uh, to this point of profound disorientation. The Israelites in some ways I don't think could have imagined that their God would have um, abandoned them and left them to the consequences of their own failings. But that's what happens. And in this second phase, which we're in with Nehemiah, and which I'll call disorientation, so from orientation to disorientation. In the second phase, we find Nehemiah among the many who are in uh, a foreign land, in Persia now. And there are some uh, Israelites have come back. The reports coming back are poor. Uh, they don't vote well. And in the book of Nehemiah, in the first chapter, we see uh, Nehemiah express extreme concern uh, for Jerusalem. So picking up in verse 3, it says, those who came back from Jerusalem said to me, Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And Nehemiah says at this point, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. That exilic experience, the experience out of which um, Nehemiah writes, is an example of profound disorientation for the people of God. Phase one, orientation. Phase two, disorientation. Eventually, and that's what we see in the book of Nehemiah, there's going to be a, a time of reorientation. But it's going to be a time that that Israel has to um, work through. And at, at this point, I want to tell you just a little bit about um, what it takes for the, uh, the Israelites to move from that profound point of disorientation to a point, again, of reorientation. For the Israelites, God's faithfulness to them came out of His unfailing love towards His people. This unfailing love is something um, that probably you could think of almost in New Testament terms as grace, undeserved, unrelentless, unceasing uh, love that God had towards his people. And in the Old Testament, it was that belief in God's unfailing love that drew them back. There's confession here. Uh, Nehemiah says, look, I, I know we have sinned terribly. And the confession that Nehemiah specifically is referring to is that they, they strayed from God. They decided no longer to obey God's commands, decrees, and regulations. But then also there's an inclination and a turn towards the promise that God had given them that even if they had been scattered to the many nations, if they would return to him, that he would bring them back to the place that he chose uh, for them. So... And in this prayer, which I think we could um, describe as a lament, um, Nehemiah is lamenting on behalf of his people for uh, to God 
and asking him to please restore them. Uh, he's open, he's honest, he's um, uh, holding God to his word. And um, this is, is hugely significant in the way that it moves um, the people of God from this disorientation to the reorientation they will experience. As a result of Nehemiah's prayer, and the prayer of many of, of God's um, children, um, there is a promise given, and hope arrives. The hope and the promise that arise um, are found in chapter 2. The king recognizes, um, you will remember this uh, perhaps from weeks ago, but the king recognizes King Artaxerxes um, that as the uh, king is being brought his wine, uh, Nehemiah is his cupbearer, uh, the king looks at him and says, Why are you so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. And it's interesting because the king's recognition of Nehemiah's brokenness at that point is what causes this next sequence of events which allows Nehemiah ultimately to go back to Jerusalem. Nehemiah says, um, Lord, how long live the king, but how can it not be that I'm sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king says to Nehemiah, well, how can I help you? And uh, he asks for permission to go home. Now, the, the, the key point I, I, I think I just want to bring out is that um, this unsettling um, method of prayer called the lament, of going before God in honesty, of sharing our pain and our hurt and our disappointment, sometimes even arguing from, with God, sometimes even accusing God, which is part of the Hebrew um, tradition of prayer. This is something that continues right into the New Testament and perhaps we can think of even in our own day. Now, it's what moved Nehemiah from disorientation to reorientation. In the reoriented world of Nehemiah, he finds himself on the road, on the way back to Jerusalem. And he arrives there, having been given permission by the king of a foreign country to rebuild the defensive walls of Jerusalem. All right, make the switch with me for a moment from the time of Nehemiah uh, into our own time right now, our own situation. And I don't think it's hard for us to see a very direct application of the book of Nehemiah in our lives today. Um, the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, has brought with it a serious sense of disorientation for the world, and not just for us, uh, for Christians. The pandemic has um, really um, altered the way that we're experiencing life right now. Things we used to take for granted, we just can't take for granted any longer. Uh, just think, example, for major events, concerts or sports events or major gatherings, and including church. There is no way right now that we can come together as a large group. And that's had an effect on us because I think we long to be in the presence of others in community. There's also a sense for parents at home, um, they've had to take on additional um, responsibilities with raising their kids and helping with school. And at the same time, many of them trying to juggle one job or two jobs from the home. All of that has been very chaotic. And I think it's been hard sometimes for families and for marriages. Um, think also of the sting and the pain of not being able to attend a funeral, for example, or, or realizing that someone you love or someone you know 
is dying from the virus and you can't even go and attend to them or see them and be with them or pray for them. Um, think too of just the fear and the anxiety that uh, the virus produces. Now, I could go on, but you get the sense that this is a time of deep disorientation for the church. The scriptures have, um, and in the book of Nehemiah has, uh, a response to this. Nehemiah's response in chapter 1 is to cry out to God, to cry out, to complain to God, to hold God to his word, to grieve before God. And uh, Nehemiah's big complaint to God is that he wants to go back to the place where his ancestors are buried. That's what we're told he says to the king. And he wants to be again in the city uh, where God's temple was and where God took up his special presence there. For us, I think, it's fair and reasonable within um, the Hebrew tradition of prayer and within the biblical tradition of prayer for us also to find time to go before God. Sometimes the main expression going before God might be uh, an expression of, of pain and suffering. Sometimes it might be a complaint. All of those things are welcome. These things presuppose that there is a God who is there and that God is listening. And as we engage with God face to face and prayer to prayer, if we could say it that way, there's something very healthy about being able to share our deepest thoughts with God and our deepest disappointments. And some of those could be directed toward God, who we see as sovereign in a world that is struggling right now. All right, so just to wrap all of this up and move to a finish, at the beginning I opened the story, or I opened with a story um, uh, about a barrel in the Appalachian Mountains that had become for the people in a small village there a point of orientation, a way of kind of seeing their surroundings, uh, getting, giving them direction, and uh, helping them navigate their world. Um, I made the point that for the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, uh, Nehemiah um, and the Israelites that came before him, that point of orientation was very much um, the temple in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, and the walls that surrounded and protected Jerusalem. It was in the uh, temple and, and the city of Jerusalem that the people of God in, in the Old Testament found their orientation. What happens when the world as we know it gets disoriented, gets uh, messed up, gets uprooted, gets changed? And I think um, as I listen to people right now in, in our situation and in our culture, we're living through a period of time where uh, COVID-19 has really produced for us a sense of disorientation. A lot of things we used to do, a lot of things we used to take for granted, a lot of ways we used to go about living have been disrupted by the virus. And, I, and my sense is in the book of Nehemiah, um, when you look at um, his practice of the prayer of lament, which helped him to come honestly before God, to express the way he was feeling, to um, complain to God, to um, ask uh, big uh, requests from God, um, we see in that a pattern for how we can go about um, living our life before God now. I think for some people the idea of um, going to God during times of disorientation or pain or suffering or confusion and complaining or, or accusing or grieving or expressing honest, sad feelings before God is a bit foreign. In a very real way, 
Um, the point I think I'm trying to make this morning is that this is a, a context, a, a circumstance in which the practice of the prayer of lament is a very useful practice. And you might say, well, how, how do I practice that? I don't understand. What are the steps or stages or ways? It's very simple. Lament was just an honest outpouring of God during an unsettling time. Honest before God, saying, God, I'm grieving because uh, of the way that I feel I can't connect or associate with my friends. I'm sad because, uh, profoundly sad, because one of my friends or my relatives or, or somebody close to me has died as a result of this. God, will you help us to make this right again? Now, the last thing I want to say is that ultimately, God is the one who gives us orientation. But the unique thing about um, Christianity is that we have a very clear sense in um, the New Testament that the orientation point, the center that kind of holds things together for us, and the one to whom we can take all of our concerns is, is Jesus himself. In a very real way, Jesus himself promises us that he will give us strength and hope during this time. For all of us, um, and maybe this is the case for you, I think we can feel alone. We can feel um, like things aren't working right now. But in Jesus, I think um, we can know we're never alone. He said he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He, God, um, through Jesus, we've been told that the Holy Spirit can give us strength and wisdom and help during these times, even these really dis profoundly disorienting times. So my hope for you this week is if you're finding yourself in a sense of disorientation and disorder, which many of us are, try the practice of praying openly and honestly to God, the practice of lament as it's called in scripture. And remember to cling closely to Jesus. He's like the barrel. He's a fresh orientation point, a new way of seeing the world. He's like the temple was for Nehemiah, a place that gave them purpose and understanding. For us, we're told that Jesus is exactly that place. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com. There's no